The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, yes, indeed, we have flipped the calendar, and we are here in the month of March, mostly known, at least in the U.S., for college basketball and the mayhem and the madness and the NCAA tournament. But we're not... We're not going to be without fights. We're not going to be without previewing the fights. Of course, we're going to do both. Uh, we're going to be interested in the basketball, but also in the boxing. Uh, we are back in, and we are glad that you are with us. However, you found us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. I'm the somewhat competent host, somewhat lucid, not quite crazy just yet. I'm going to be doing a bunch of different college basketball coverage and live games. But again, we're serving the boxing audience here. Thank you for finding us on the Big Fight Weekend a podcast, the preview podcast, and the podcast feed. Hello, Dan Rayfield, our insider uh, from Fight Freaks Unite, his Substack, as well as BigFightWeekend.com. Uh, I know you're going to have an eyeball on Duke, North Carolina. People may not realize this about you, but you're a big Duke basketball guy. But we got some boxing as well to keep track of this weekend. How you feeling? I'm good. I'm looking forward to that game. I don't think either team's having a great season. We're not really probably going to go too far in the uh, NCAA's, but. I don't care if they were winless. If you beat North Carolina, that's still a good thing. <laughs> Amen. So that's on on Saturday night. We got fights coming up Saturday night. Brandon Figueroa is back uh, in an interim world title fight. Jared Hurd is back. Swift Jared Hurd is back. You're going to hear from Jared Hurd on this very podcast shortly. Dan Rayfield spoke with him uh, earlier in the week. How did you find him, by the way? Fight week, preparation, getting ready to fight in California, just as a general comment. How did you find Swift Jared Hurd to be in the combo? Jared is a cool guy, and it was, uh, it's was it been a while. He's been out of the ring for a couple of years. He talks about his uh, reasons for being out for a while, coming off a loss. His switch trainer is now being trained by uh, the uh, former middleweight title challenger. Got to go back into the 90s. Uh, those who are listening that are from that time will know the name Andrew Council. He's from the, the, the D.C., uh, uh, Maryland, Virginia area, which is where Jared is from also. But he look, he's, uh, he's re-motivated. It sounded like... Uh, you know, we talked over some of the old times, the, the good times, some of the not so good times. Uh, we got a great story about uh, about our interaction the morning after he won the world title at 154 pounds for the you know when he won his first belt there. Um, Jared's a good guy, and uh, I'm I'm happy that he's back, and I'm happy to see him. Uh, it seems like in a real good spot in his life right now, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching him do his thing. One thing I'll I'll give you a, a little thing about from what he said. He tried to box and move in his last couple of fights, which was not the Jared Hurd that we all fell in love with, which was the destroyer. Come and get you. And uh, now when I was interviewing him, I saw him on our Zoom call. You'll hear the audio. But he had the smile on his face, and he's like, I'm back to the way I was. He can destroy. So <laughs> I'm excited to see Saturday's fight to see what he can do against uh, his opponent, Resendez. And uh, it was a good conversation. Uh, top shelf tease by Brother Rayfield here. Uh, on the uh, on the podcast and the upcoming conversation with Jared Hurd in a few moments. And wait, like we often joke, like the Ginsu Steak Knives commercials of the 80s and 90s. But wait, that's not all. How much would you pay now? $19.95, $29.95. You've got another interview, and not just any conversation, a really interesting one with the Showtime Sports uh, and Showtime Boxing latest schedule out. But there's also some... Uh, you know, there's obviously some drama going on behind the scenes about Showtime and whether Showtime is going to continue to exist because Paramount, the parent company, has Paramount Plus. You're going right to the guy, the president of Showtime Sports, Stephen Espinoza, in a conversation later on this podcast as well. Yeah, no, Steve and I were able to catch up. It's, you know, sometimes the, you go a little while between interviews. Today, this uh, week, we ended up with two good ones with uh, Jared Hurd and also with Steve Espinoza, who I've known for way, way longer than he's been at Showtime. 
Uh, I knew him back in the day uh, when he was Mike Tyson's attorney and then later the Golden Boy attorney. In any event, we had a, a nice conversation. We we talked about the making of the Ryan Garcia-Tank Davis fight. That was an interesting conversation. We talked a little bit about uh, uh, what might be in store for the winner of the upcoming Showtime pay-per-view between uh, David Benavides and Caleb Plant that takes place later in the month. We had a, a conversation about the upcoming shows that they announced. So we'll talk about also they announced three different boxing cards that were not already on their already pretty busy schedule. So that was a good conversation. And uh, uh, we discussed, of course, what I call the 800-pound gorilla, the uh, elephant in the room, if you will, which was all the stuff that's been going on that people have heard about, read about uh, regarding the Paramount Plus absorption of Showtime into its streaming service. And he touched on that and, uh, you know, gave his side of things. And it's coming right from the horse's mouth in that sense. You'll get to hear it all right here as part of this podcast. Again, thank you for finding us. Make sure you're following, subscribing on uh, the podcast feed here for Big Fight Weekend because we come off the weekend with a Fight Freaks Unite recap where we're going to recap this Brandon Figueroa, uh, Magsayo fight and everything else that goes on this weekend. So usually we're out with a preview Friday, overnight Thursday into Friday, Friday morning. Then we're back with a recap overnight, Sunday night into Monday. And again, thank you to the peeps. You savages, you peeps keep finding us. Uh, despite my best best efforts, uh, I guess, uh, to keep you from finding it. No, I'm just joking. Uh, Rayfield does a great job, and a lot of you are finding us uh, even in the last two or three weeks, including off the Jake Paul, Tommy Fury uh, recap, where we saw a, a nice bump in audience there. Thank you. If you're just finding us, uh, keep plugging away. We're here with you going into the weekend and coming off the weekend right here on this same podcast feed. And you want to follow or subscribe because then you need no other help. You don't need a social media link. You don't need a reminder on a website or anything else because you will get automatic reminders. Correct, Dan Rayfield? Like a vibration? I've heard uh, you'll get a ding, a bell, a buzz, a vibration, a banner. Something, something that tells you. That tells you that we're there, we're back, more and more Rayfield, is, which is what we need in our lives. Okay, uh, let's get into it. Uh, this is the Showtime PBC card, Ontario california for saturday night and this is the vacant wbc interim featherweight championship a belt help me here a belt that magsayo held as the world title and then vargas beat him right and now vargas uh has to decide whether he's back at featherweight or not he says he is so now this is the interim vacant belt did i explain it right with brandon figueroa and mark magsayo how did i do you did very well. And so what it basically means is this. If uh, the winner of this fight will have that interim belt, if Ray Vargas, uh, I, I guess he soon has to disclose to the WBC what his plans are. He, of course, lost uh, in his recent attempt to win their title at 130 pounds. So now the choice is, do I stay at 130 and just sort of not have a title and see what I can do? Or do I go back and defend my title at 126 pounds? I would imagine that he will go back to featherweight because that's where he'll be able to make some money because as a champion, you make money as a guy that just come off a loss at 130, his chances of uh, making the kind of money that he could make in a title defense is much less than he would. So it seems though the winner of Nick Sayo versus Figueroa will have to be uh, the next opponent probably, maybe one after that against Ray Vargas. But the fact is Figueroa versus Nick Sayo, interim title, full title, whatever, who cares? It's a good fight in the ring. And as a viewer, I mean, yeah, the titles are important, but I'm interested in seeing a good, interesting fight. And I suspect that Figueroa and Meg Sayo, if you've ever spent any length of time watching them, uh, realize that they should make for a very appetizing, appealing, interesting, good fight. 
And Figueroa in particular is a guy, you mentioned this with Jared Hurd, that wants to fight at close at close quarters. There's close quarters, and then there's Figueroa fights where you could almost fight them in your bathtub. Uh, and so I'm I'm excited. I'm intrigued to see what this looks like. Again, Magsayo had the upset, what, of Gary uh, Russell to take the belt in the first place. Filipino idol, idolized Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao has now been helping him promotionally and otherwise in the past. So that's and a then, great then, story. So we got a lot of intrigue here. Yeah, and then he's the one that lost to Vargas. So if he wins, he's looking to set up a possible rematch uh, against Vargas, who was the one that took the title from him in the first place. Uh, and with Figueroa, he is somewhat new to this weight division. Uh, he had, of course, he had a, a, a title at 122 pounds, had the big knockout against Luis Neary, then had the fantastic fight of the year candidate in 2021, end of that year, against Stephen Fulton. That was a unification fight. Uh, there was a lot of, con not con I wouldn't say, it was more controversy on his end. I think most people accepted the majority decision that that Fulton was the rightful winner, but I could I guess I could understand where Brandon was coming from. It was a super close fight. He wanted a rematch. He didn't get it. They were trying to set it up. Fulton ended up was going to do the fight. Got the opportunity instead to make a deal to defend against uh, Noya in a way which is going to be worth uh, millions and millions of dollars more. So that's going to take place uh, probably in the early summer or end of May, something like that in Japan. In the meantime, uh, Figueroa is not exactly retiring, so he he's moving on to this fight. Now he has had a victory since the loss to Fulton, which was against Carlos Castro. That was an eliminator to get this title opportunity in the featherweight division. And so now he takes on Meg Sayo. Uh, good main event. I mean, is it, I will say this refrain about a lot of Showtime fights uh, that have recently happened and that are upcoming. While they don't necessarily have the ability, whether it's financially or access to the fighter or whatever you want to call it, to put some of the biggest, biggest names on the network in the biggest matchups, at the very least, and I, Stephen Espinosa and I, we talked a little bit about this in the interview that you'll hear, uh, that the matchups themselves are good matchups. I mean, again, not the sexiest names, not the biggest, biggest fights, but if you're a boxing fan, Megsayo versus Brandon Figueroa is a heck of a fight. And likewise, if you know, you could go down their schedule on a, on whatever different matches you've seen so far this year. The main events tend to look, you know, pretty darn good. Like, you know, so if you can't make the the big fight at least make a good fight and that's really what they've been doing and i can to your point it. last weekend we kept selling in advance this should be good with oh, matias sure, exactly. and ponce even though they aren't the biggest names and lo and behold you had action right away with ponce jumping all over him very evenly matched fight I don't, I don't know what what this is going to be but i have a feeling brandon figueroa is going to be right in front of mag sayo and here we go even it's if they aren't the biggest look. names you know, Oshaki Foster against Ray Vargas. Yes. I mean, it, it wasn't the fight of the year, but it was a pretty good fight. I mean, there, I had no complaints about that. I mean, and so Showtime is uh, on the matchmaking end of things, you know, in my mind, doing a pretty good job. Uh, as like I said, if you can't make the biggest fights, because sometimes the biggest fights with the biggest names are one-sided ass pickings, and you kind of expect it. Like Mike Tyson against Lennox Lewis. Everybody wanted to see it, but anybody that really knew the deal knew that it was probably going to be an easy wipeout for Lennox, which it was. So that was two, two mega names, but it wasn't necessarily the greatest right. fight. Here you put in, you know, exciting fighters uh, that are still trying to make their name in the sport to win titles and to, you know, move up into that star level. And and you uh, you go through these types of fights to get there. And we got a pretty good one. All right. So that should be a lot it's of fun. PJ, it's the same refrain every single week. I feel like even though we're not getting the biggest fights, we come on here, whether it's a Showtime fight, a DAZN fight, some of the ESPN fights. And we say, 
you know, not the biggest names, but these guys are gonna make a good fight. And what's happened week after week after week, they've made good fights. We got a yeah. bunch of them. Yes, and we've had Lee Lee Wood and Mauricio Laura to that end, and Yard uh, trying to challenge better BF. We've seen some good ones so far. Oh, even Luis not... against uh, yes against uh, uh, Azit Hovinisian. So yeah, plenty of them. All right. So again, we'll make some predictions on the BetUS live show one Eastern time, depending on when you're hearing us Friday. One Eastern time, we'll make predictions on what happens with Figueroa and Magsayo. Immediately preceding that is going to be the co-feature fight. And we're going to hear from Swift Jared Hurd in a few moments because you talked with him. But just tell me a little bit about the opponent. And again, he's been away from a while for, uh, for a little while here, Hurd in specific. Yeah, I mean, Jared, like I mentioned, he's going to be coming back. It's going to be almost two years. He fought last in uh, June of 2021. He had a, a, a split decision loss against Luis Arias. And it was like, the, and he even, he talked about it, it was like the worst fight. And he didn't just mean from himself. He just meant it was a bad fight. And it wasn't the fighter's fault because those guys are generally guys that make pretty good fights. The problem was it took place in Miami, Florida, outdoors in a stadium in your neck of the woods. And they were fighting uh in a big rainstorm on the undercard of mayweather if i remember did they stop it at least once if not twice because there was rain coming down and it did slick on it crazy yeah so that was the night that floyd had the exhibition with logan paul but they put other actual non-exhibition fights on the undercard and Jarrett was in the in the fight with arias and and he you know he because he he was trying to box and move and you can't really do that when the when the mat is slick and wet and uh it was just a it was just a mess. He lost that fight. He admits it. Arias got his biggest win of his life. And and uh, you know, he took some time off. You know, he he'll talk about it. His dad passed because of COVID. Wow. Uh, he had a lot going on in his life. Um, but anyway, so now he's 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 finally uh, you'll hear the reasons what made him decide to come back. He's now back in the ring. This is sort of let's shake off the cobwebs against Jose Armando Resendez, a 13 and one fighter with nine knockouts from Mexico. Um, and uh not not a big resume and and frankly whenever he's come to the united states he is uh you know his his one time he came to the states and fought was his uh well not the only time but when he came here a couple fights ago is when he lost his one loss so he's trying to hang another loss on a guy you know that's traveling and uh look no one's gonna make uh a bullshit statement and say this is some kind of big mega fight it's not this is an opportunity for one of the guys who was one of the best fighters in boxing one of the most exciting fighters in boxing after a very difficult stretch in his personal life, uh, after coming off of some difficult fights of the loss to take the time to try to get back in shape, get back in the ring, see what he can do. And after this, uh, go for a bigger fight. This is the shake off the cobwebs, get rid of the rust, see where I'm at and, uh, and see what I can do after this. But getting there, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, as Resendez comes to fight, if, uh, heard is true to his word and goes back to the old, uh, you know, pressure breaks pipes types of style, you know, we'll see a good fight. All right. That's the specific matchup. Again, uh, Dan is Dan, and he got a chance to catch up with Jarrett Hurd, Swift Jarrett Hurd earlier this week in advance of his co-feature fight on this Showtime PBC card. That conversation is yours right now. I'm going to welcome in my special guest, a man I haven't spoken to for a while. It's the former junior middleweight unified champion of the world, Jarrett Hurd. And Jarrett, you got a, a very important fight coming up Saturday night. You are going to be in the co-feature on Showtime, uh, taking on uh, Jose Armando Resendez on the undercard of the Brandon Figueroa Mark McSayo interim featherweight title bout. It's going to be your first fight in about two years, and uh, I guess now you're you're dipping your toes back in, getting back into it. How have you been? And welcome. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, man. No problem. Appreciate you having me. Uh, I've been good. You know, um, I took some time off for the passing of my father. 
Uh, you know, I just didn't have the the love. It wasn't around me, the whole boxing uh let's say atmosphere. And, you know, he had so much, so much love. And I didn't realize until he was gone how much impact he had on me in the sport. And uh, you know, I just took some time off, but now I'm back against Jose Resendez and you know, I'm just ready to shake the cobwebs off, not overlooking them, but uh get back in there and, and do what I do best. Right. So you mentioned uh, the passing of your father. Uh, I know that that occurred. That was during COVID and everything. A lot of people had a lot of stuff going on. And uh, remind me, was that related to COVID or was it something else during COVID? Yes, it was related to COVID, man. He uh, crazy thing is my mother was the one that that was feeling real bad when uh, around the time. And, you know, my father had called me and said, man, Jared, man, we, we both got COVID in here, man. But your mama, man, it's, it's getting to your mom. It's getting bad. It's getting bad. And then next thing you know, within two days, I mean, my father just went down. I don't know. He just started feeling real weak, man. And I was like, how how you get this way when you was all energetic for the last week? You know what I mean? And then, man, the one morning my mother said uh, she woke up and my father was in the bathroom. He had a heart attack from the COVID. I said, well, I mean, uh, that's a terrible thing to hear. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. No, that no. Uh, mess around with people for sure. And so when you, was it a conscious decision then to deal with that? And, and I think also, if I'm not mistaken, Jerry, you tell me that during the period of time that you've been off uh, out of the ring, you also got engaged. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of stuff going on. The, the death of a loved one, uh, getting engaged, uh, you know, I guess, you know, put boxing a little bit in the, on the back burner. Um, what was it that, that was the spark to say, you know what, it's time to go get the gloves again, time to, get the, the, the crew back together. Let's get back in the gym and, and let's go on with our career. Well, uh, to be honest, I was, I wasn't going to come back. You know, uh, like I say, I wasn't, it, I wasn't hearing much about it. You know, we had fight parties and watch it every now and then, but it was one night I was on the, in my game room playing the game uh, with my friend Emmanuel, Emmanuel Savoy. He also the trainer of F.A. Uh, Jaguar and uh, Nico. Ali Wash, yep. I was on the phone with him, and then, you know, we started chatting. After we finished, he was like, man, I haven't done that in about six weeks at the time. I mean, I'm sorry, six months at the time. And he's like, man, Jerry, if your father knew what he's doing right now, man, he'd kill us, man, because <laughs> <laughs> we sit down, play the game, not running, not doing anything, man. And after that, I started hearing, playing back little things that he would say to us uh, if I was not doing anything, the phone calls he would be giving me. And after that, you know, it started from hearing his voice to jumping to some rope to running some miles and to putting some some gloves and, you know, getting back into the groove of things. And after that, that's where I picked back up. So it's really the the knowing what your dad would have said to you or how he would have reacted, like then you remember what he was like in that sense and that he would have wanted you to go on with your career. Exactly, man. Then I remember it was uh, when Jamel Charlo became undisputed. He just beat Brian Castillo. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I don't know why that night, it was one of those nights I just kept, kept hearing him saying, them boys can't beat you. He always said that to me. They can't beat you when you're in shape. And he just kept, and then when I kept hearing, I just kept thinking about it too, like, man, won't you get back in shape, Jerry? Like, why why are you giving up now? I know my, my father was here. He would not want you to stop right now. You're just doing it because you can, you know. So I said, I'm going to give it one more shot. And I, I, I got off my ass and came back, man. All right. So I'm glad that you're back in the ring. You've made some of the most exciting fights I've seen in my day of covering boxing. I just want to go back a little bit. 
It was six years ago, just last week, uh, when you stopped Tony Harrison in round nine to win the vacant IBF title. Uh, on, it was on an undercard of uh, Deontay Wilder's heavyweight championship defense against Gerald Washington. Uh, and I, I know that was a big moment in your career. So I, I'm going to recount a little story. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to this. I mentioned this uh, because it's just so prevalent in my mind when I think about your career. Tell me if you remember this. The, you won the fight. You got the title. The next morning, super early in the morning, uh-huh. I happened to be riding with you in the van to the airport. And yeah. what always sticks in my mind is that you had won the world title and we were riding to the airport. We were making a little chit chat, you know, congratulations and all that. And do you remember this, Jared? Because it sticks in my mind forever. You were in your street clothes and you were wearing the belt around your waist in the van. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, listen, it was times I probably never thought I'd, I'd ever get to that day, you know. Uh, and uh, when I won the title, I, I mean, I probably, you talking about just in that van, I walk around with that belt everywhere when I go home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not crazy. You really were wearing the belt in the van, right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Listen, that to me, for all the things that people see on television when the guy wins the title or is in a great fight or sees an interview, it's moments like that that I've had the privilege of being around uh, great champions for a long time and seeing them do what they do that people don't see that endear them to me when I see a guy that's so proud of the accomplishment. Uh, they're going to the airport, you know, eight hours after they win the biggest fight of their life. And uh, they're wearing the belt. Uh, and you said you wore that around everywhere, all around uh, your hometown. And when you got back from uh, the fight. Yes, man. The beauty about it is it was a vacant title. So, you know, if I would have beat another champion, had to take his belt, I wouldn't have got to take the belt on the plane. But That's because true. The title, I took that thing on the plane, man. Everybody was asking me when I sent it through the uh, through, uh, security. It was like, what's this? I was like, <laughs> at this point, I'm the title, you know. <laughs> Listen, that's a, that's a flex right there. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you after that, I mean, you went on a, on a good string there. You had beaten Tony, who's uh, now getting a chance against uh, Tim Zhu, upcoming on Showtime for one of the interim titles. But then after that, you knocked out uh, Austin Trout, who had uh, been a very durable guy. He'd never, uh, I don't think he'd ever been stopped at the point never that you stopped, stopped him in a title defense. And then after that, you had that fight of the year in 2018 against Aristani Lara, which I was ringside for, one of the best fights I've covered in uh, 20 plus years of doing this, you, you scored a knockdown in the last round to pull it out, unify the titles. To me, that's your best, the best fight that you've had. Can you uh, re- give me your thoughts about the memories of winning uh, and to unify, but to do it in the, in the dramatic manner that you did, which was by scoring a knockdown in the final round to assure yourself of the victory. Yeah, man. And uh, to me, that's my, that's my favorite fight as well. You know, that's when I became number one in my division and, um, you know, it's crazy because going into that 12th round, my trainer, Ernesto, he was like, uh, he said, Jerry, you got this in the bag. You uh, won the fight. Just make it out this round. Make it out this round. But I don't know what got over in my mind saying this. I ain't just trying to make it out the round. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stop him. Every every fight I had on television, I stopped my opponent. So I went out in the 12th round and I was I I, I ended up scoring a knockdown. And if I didn't get that knockdown, we would have walked away with a draw. So because yeah. I got, you know, I got the split decision. Sometimes it's the trainer that knows best. And in this case, it was the boxer that knew best that you needed yeah. to do yeah. a little more dramatic. Uh, what a tremendous uh, fight that was. Now, unfortunately, the flip side of that is uh, a couple of fights later, uh, you had the homecoming fight in uh-huh. Fairfax, Virginia, right down the street from where I live, uh, not too far from where you live. Uh, and in front of the home crowd, you, you unfortunately, uh, for your situation, you lost the title to Julian Williams. Can you? I know it's hard. It's always hard to lose, but... Was it yep. even more difficult because it was your first loss and because it took place in front of a home crowd? 
that's that's that was the toughest one because of that man you know everybody kept saying bring the belts back home bring the belts back home i remember kato plant having this uh title the first title defense in, in in tennessee at home and i wanted to do the same thing i was like i want to bring her back home and bring the belts back home had a first champion defend their title in this hometown and I mean, to be honest with you, it was no excuse for that fight. J-Rock was, was just a better man that night because he every time I look at that fight, he just outskilled me, you know. Yeah, he fought me that. better at my game, too. I thought me walking him down and fighting him inside was going to be the deciding factor, but he just fought me better at my game. Well, when you get in the ring on Saturday for this upcoming fight against Resendez, like we talked about, it'll be your first fight in about two years, a little, a little less than two years. Uh, mm-hmm. Your last fight was the split decision. Uh, in your, it was your first, you know, the fight you have coming up, this is a middleweight fight. The fight that you had uh, prior to this was also a middleweight fight, your first one in that weight class against Luis Arias, who beat oh. you by a, a split decision. Uh, and it was on the Floyd Mayweather, a Logan Paul exhibition undercard in Miami in the terrible rainstorm. Uh, yeah. That just seemed like a like just a, a bad night all around. I mean, what would happen in that fight? Worst fight ever, man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Listen, at least you're honest about it. I can respect that, you know. All right. Uh, well, to be honest with you, know, I was with Kate Caroma, so I was, if you, if you seen the fight before that, the Santana fight, you saw I was working on boxing and moving and using the ring more. And that was a game plan for this fight too. We was going to use the ring and box, but when it started raining, I was forced to fight my old style and I wasn't in the shape or I didn't practice as much to fight, fight in that way. And, uh, man, you know, I just, I just didn't look the best, but to be honest with you, it was the rain. You know, the breaks in between every time I felt like I had them injured, they, you know, they'll take a break each and all those rounds just to wipe the floor. And it felt like a sparring session, you right. know. Sparring. Now, the question is, you mentioned about in that fight and the Santana fight, which was before that fight where you were trying to employ a little bit more of a boxing style. Uh, I know it may not be the best way to extend a career or or to preserve yourself in some fashion. But the, the Jared Heard that I knew and watched coming up and in the title fights, you were a guy that just absolutely outworked your opponents. You just beat them down because you had such a, a monstrous amount of punch output and pressure and just guys couldn't take it for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Is, are you able to go back to that style? Do you want to go back to that style? Or are you still going to try to maybe box and move and, and or maybe mix it up a little bit? Because the, the, the Jared Heard at his best was the guy that just went in there and just just be the guy to oblivion because he threw so many punches. Going back to, hey, look, I'm going back to what got me here, destroying everything. Any and everything in the ring, all 12 rounds, destroying. No more, no more. Not saying I'm getting away from the jab and I'm not going to move around if I have to, but my go-to is to break my opponent down like before. But I would call it intelligent pressure. Right, right, exactly. The, now, the who, who is the trainer for you for this fight? Uh, Andrew Council. Oh, oh, yeah, he was a hell of a, a contender in his own day. Uh, yep, yep. At the time in the middleweight division. Uh, and so you're taking on Resendez. He's not the most experienced guy. He's 13 and one. He's got nine knockouts. He's from Mexico. Not a big reputation, not a big resume. Uh, we know it's your first fight back in two years. I don't think anybody's going to give you uh, a lot of grief for maybe not taking on a top, top level guy. But mm-hmm. what do you what do you know about this guy and what do you expect from him? Well, I know in his his two fights here in America, he had trouble. He had one split decision. He lost to um, Marco Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I hope. I'm, I mean, my my plans are to, you know, every time you come over here in America, it's gonna be bad for him. <laughs> 
So <laughs> if, you, if you get this one out of the way and shake off that rust and, and get back to the, the Jared Hurd that, that we we all know, uh, the middleweight division is is in a little bit of a of a, a downward moment, I would say. If, mm-hmm. if you can win and, and, and make a, a, a splash, let's say, coming back off the long layoff, you know, puts you as a, as a top name in the weight class. Obviously, Charlo has one of the titles. Uh, Gennady Golovkin is there with one of the belts. He vacated his other title. Um, what, what's like the big fight that you want? Is it one of those guys? Do you want a rematch with J-Rock at some point if he were to come up and wait? Uh, like, what, what's the, I don't want to say the end game, but like, what's the, you, you don't want to be fighting the, the Resendez level guys for the rest of your career. Like, what's the big one for Jared Hurd going forward? So here's the thing. I, I, I would love to avenge both of my losses, but it's not a must-do thing, you know, because I know that I know I'm better than those guys. And right after I, I, I end up losing those guys, they go out there and lose, you know, some lost twice in a row. So I'm like, man, do I have to prove to the world or myself by revenging those losses to show them that I am still the same Jared or do I have to go out here and beat better competition and they'll understand and know? And I feel like I need to go beat better competition. So, I mean, envision those losses with J-Rock and Arias. Yeah, if it come, I'll take it. But at the end of the day, I want to go after the Charlottes and the titles and the good Ali Godolphin. And if I can get a chance at that vacant one, I, I go at the vacant one as well. There you go. Well, you're going to have, I would think, uh, you come with a good win come Saturday. You should have some nice options in this weight class. Uh, Jared, thank you very much for uh, doing this uh, today with me. I appreciate it. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And uh, should you win another title down the road, maybe I'll be in the van riding to the airport with you again. All right, so <laughs> looking forward. All right, Jared, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So there we go. And one more time, he's back. It's the co-feature fight from Ontario, California, right before the Figueroa Magsayo main event. Saturday, final thought there before we move on? Uh, my final thought is... Uh, I, I'm very, very happy to see Jared Hurd back in the ring. I've been thinking, actually, you know, before that fight was announced, is he coming back? What's he doing? I, and the reason I say this, I see him on social media. I follow him on, like, you know, Twitter, Instagram, or whatever. And, uh, you know, you see photos of him. He's out with his uh, fiance. They're doing their thing. Uh, clearly enjoying life, not not looking like he's 160 pounds. Um, and, and now he's got it back, and hopefully he can uh, resume what, what was a career that was on a very, very good trajectory, despite – having lost the titles, uh, but but a nice a nice guy and a, and a really exciting fighter when he's on his game. All right. Speaking of Showtime, again, Steven Espinoza conversation with the Dan Rayfield in a few moments, but they made some official fight announcements. Uh, I know we've been talking about uh, some of these different uh, fighters and fights, but uh, it begins uh, with the April 8th card in Carson, California, and Sebastian uh, Fundora. And that WBC interim 154 pound title fight. All right, so give me uh, give me what they have announced, and it kind of is going to lead us into the conversation with Steven sure. Espinosa. I'll give the rundown. So, like you mentioned, Fandora is fighting Brian Mendoza in the main event. That's why we talked about, I think, on one of the previous podcasts. I had written mm-hmm. about that. That was uh, something I had uh, you know nailed down a, a couple of weeks ago. And anyway, so but that's the main event. Uh, they've got an undercard that is uh, a Showtime. Uh, if you watch Showtime boxing, you certainly know Brandon Lee. He's been on. A bunch mm-hmm. of their show showbox and and other other championship boxing events. He's taking on Pedro Campa. It's kind of a step up. Brandon has already got about twenty seven fights, twenty seven no, but Pedro Campa I think can be viewed as a step up for him. He is coming off of a loss by a knockout last summer um, against uh, Tiafimo Lopez. I think he may have won one fight since then, but he is he's known let's say for the loss to Tiafimo Lopez when Tiafimo 
was making his junior welterweight de- debut after having lost the lightweight title. So that that seems like a step up kind of fight for Brandon. Then they got a couple of unbeaten featherweights uh, prospects, if you will, on the opening fight of their triple header, uh, which, by the way, I love the showtime pretty much every time out. But with rare exception, it's a triple header. They got the Tony Harrison, Tim Zhu fight coming up. That's a single fight from Australia, but that's a rare exception. Mostly they're triple headers. Uh, and uh, the other fight that I was going to say is Luis Nunez against Christian Olivo, both unbeaten featherweights. And then they move on. They got a, a, a these are new cards, by the way. This is in addition to the ones that have already been announced. So May 13th site to be determined. Uh, the WBA's recently crowned junior welterweight title holder Alberto Pueyo is taking on the always colorful Rolando Romero, Roly Romero, who's coming off his knockout loss against Gervonta Davis last year. Uh, some might question how in the world does he get a world title shot uh, after a knockout loss and a long layoff. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that I'm always interested to watch Roly fight. So I'm okay uh, the with three that. letters WBA uh, tell you a lot there. Continue on. Yes, I hear that. And then uh, this is as actually uh, this was not. Uh, an accident. This is by design. It is, uh, let's call it a night of the junior welterweights because the two other fights that they've added to this card for the television broadcast are also in the junior welterweight, junior welterweight division. You have Gary Antoine Russell, who I thought was going to be fighting Alberto Pueyo. There was a lot of conversation. I'm told that the Russell team, not so much the fighter, but the, his, his, his brain trust, partly his brother, etc., was like, you know what? When they didn't think they were quite ready for that. Let's get another one or two fights, and then we're going to be good to go for the title. Okay, have your opinion about that. But the bottom line is uh, he's fighting on the same card with Alberto Pueyo because he's going to be lined up with the winner of that fight probably at some point. He's taking on the undefeated Ken Cruz, and you got uh, uh, the other fight, which is the opener, is Rancis Bartholomew, who has had a world title in the 135 and 130 divisions against Omar Juarez, who has shook off uh, his one loss to win two or three fights in a row. Uh, look, I'm I'm no big fan of Rancis Bartholomew. He's made some of the worst fights I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I hope he can deliver something that doesn't suck on that night. Um, but nonetheless, that's the show. Three junior welterweight fights, and then they move on uh, back to their old to their uh, apparently their new favorite stomping grounds at the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, June 24th. Uh, solid main event. You got Carlos Adamas, uh, the Dominican, who's now the WBC's interim middleweight title holder. He's taken on. Julian J. Rock Williams, the former unified junior middleweight champion. He's the one who beat Jared Hurd to take those titles back a couple of years ago. Uh, so he's at Adamus is in in the optional period that the WBC allowed him to do before they make him and the middleweight Charlo fight each other. Uh, the undercard fight, another 154 fight, Erickson Lubin, who's usually in good fights. He's taken on uh, the aforementioned Luis Arias, who is the one who hung that last loss on Jared Hurd in a middleweight fight. Uh, hopefully they make a nice matchup. And then you have the opening fight, which is a world title match between the IBF 115-pound champion Fernando Martinez against his Filipino mandatory Jade Bornea. That was a fight that uh, TGB Promotions picked up at a purse bid a few weeks ago for very cheap money. Uh, but uh, they should provide us uh, with a pretty decent fight in the opener. So those are the three fights. And I'm going to say it again, as I said before, not the biggest, sexiest names in the world, but at least in terms of the main events, each and every one of those fights on paper feels like it should be competitive and probably better than average action. That's all you can really ask for, I guess, if you're not going to be able to do the biggest mega fights. And and also, I should I should add, and uh, they, they made a point of this when they made their announcement. They have a bunch of other fights are trying to get done, but they weren't done yet. But they wanted to get they wanted to put something out because these other events are coming quickly. Uh, but they made the very specific point that they are going to announce events with Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, and they went on down the line, Danny Garcia, 
uh, Jaron Ennis. There was several fighters that they mentioned also. And you can assume that that means we'll see probably Spence against Thurman in the in the least kept secret in boxing. Uh, that they'll fight can each I just, other. Uh, one more time. I know Keith Thurman's in this area. I was not really interested in, in Errol Spence and Keith Thurman in the short term of 2023. If you're making me wait for Errol Spence and Keith Thurman like into the midsummer, which delays even longer the possibility. I think it's going to be sooner than that, though. I think it's sooner oh, okay. than that. But, but here's the point, though. They're uh, just making – the point I'm making is that in their announcement of those three events, Showtime was very specific in saying, besides this calendar that we've laid out for you, these new events – a June 9th show box that doesn't have fights yet set, but it's the night before the Hall of Fame inductions, plus the other bouts that are already on the calendar, uh, including Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia and the Benavides plan pay-per-view and the fights they've already had and the upcoming Tim Zhu against uh, Tony Harrison fight that's already been announced. They have a, a, a lot of fights coming up. And then again, at the end, they made the point, we're going to also have fights with Thurman, with Spence, with with uh, the two Charlo brothers, obviously one coming off the injury when he's done healing up his hand. Uh, Jaron Ennis, as I mentioned, David Morrell, who's got one of the secondary super middleweight titles. They mentioned fights for Danny Garcia. So there's a lot more Showtime action to come besides just those three uh, cards that were new to the schedule. Hopefully, when it comes to the guys like Ennis, Morrell, and Gar Danny Garcia, we're going to see them against other quality opponents. And I should say the same uh, for the middleweight Charlo. We know that the junior middleweight Charlo is going to be obligated to next fight the winner of the Tony Harrison-Tim Zhu fight. That's not exactly a secret. So We'll see. All but right. So far, good. All right. Speaking of all of this with Showtime, their president is Steven Espinoza. Dan spoke with him this week. You get another conversation, Dan, with Steven Espinoza now over all of what we're talking about here in the future uh, with Showtime. Okay, everybody. I'm going to welcome in my special guest to the podcast today. I'm speaking with none other than the Showtime sports boss man, Steven Espinoza, who I've known for many, many years, going way back before he was with Showtime. I think we first met back when you were the uh, attorney for Mike Tyson back in the day. Uh, and now you're uh, now you're making these uh, these big fights and doing the schedule. And uh, it's happy. I'm happy to talk to you today about it. You guys got a, a lot of fights coming up. How you been? Uh, I've been great. Um, I assume you're not going to bring up uh, your old nickname for me, but we'll uh, we'll leave that in the past. I, I don't think I had a nickname for you. What do you what do you? I'll, I'll remind you off air. Okay. I'll remind you off air. Maybe I endorsed somebody else's nickname, but I don't think I ever did a nickname. I think so. Other, okay. than, uh, other than Steve. But anyway. All right. Well, the, yeah. the, the biggest thing that you guys have been dealing with in the most immediate last you know, few weeks, uh, and I think every boxing fan is super happy about it, is that you were finally able to get the big fight between uh, Gervonta Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia done. It was sort of like uh, watching sausage get made day in and day out. I know that, uh, that it was not easy. It was a heavy lift, as they say. And I just like now that it's all done and said, signed, still delivered. Everybody's looking forward to a big, uh, big pay-per-view fight April twenty-second on Showtime pay-per-view. Can you just give me your thoughts about how hard was it to finally get it done? And now that it is done, sort of like how rewarding is it to finally deliver a fight that so many people have wanted to see for so long? Yeah, look, it, it was painful. I mean, choose your metaphor. Whether it was water torture, or you know fingernails off um you know there were some late nights there's some lost hair lost weight um but look two things um sort of i think motivated everybody at least uh, on our end number one um you know what this fight would mean to the sport um and how important it was how how sort of highly desired and anticipated it was by boxing fans and two the commitment um that 
the two fighters had to it. Um, and there were plenty of opportunities where there were people around one or the other fighter who may have been suggesting other opportunities. They could have taken the exit ramp. Um, you know, in some sense, that's a little bit of what happened with Spence Crawford. You know, things uh, the negotiation was prolonged and one guy decided to take a different opportunity. Um, but the reason why this happened ultimately is that Gervonta and Ryan would not let that happen. So regardless of whether our opportunities or whoever got impatient, they both remained focused on it and wouldn't let anybody, um, you know, focus on anything other than making this fight. And can you describe the difficulty then in general? I mean, you said late nights and lost hair and all that business, but I mean, you know, I was following along on a regular basis and, you know, it's got to be, it gets frustrating at a certain point, doesn't it? Oh, it, it, it definitely isn't frustrating. You know, um, you know, and, you know, there, there are the, the boxing, you know, the hardcore who love to hear the, the details and the day to day. And there are uh, a whole other category of people who are saying, look, I don't want to hear the details. I don't care how hard it is. Just make the fight. Um, but you know, here it's, it's really, it's reconciling two different, um, you know, business structures and business objectives. Uh, Ryan had an exclusive arrangement um, with Golden Boy and that has a relationship with his own. They have certain expectations and some contractual commitments. Um, we've been in business with Tank for a long time. So it's sort of reconciling that and trying to figure out, you know, what's, what is important to their side, what's important to our side, and seeing what kind of middle ground there could be. Um, and look, we ended up with a deal where you know, I know we're not entirely happy. I'm, I'm sure the other side isn't entirely happy, and that's probably a sense, uh, the sign of a good deal. Yeah, everybody's a little bit unhappy. That that is uh, for sure. If everybody is uh, kind of annoyed, then you probably do have a good deal. And I wonder now that it's made, and you have uh, everybody behind it. The fighters I know will get out there and do their part. Uh, I expect, uh, of course, Showtime will do what it does. The zone do what it does, and uh, make everybody know about this fight. How big of a fight can it be? And I, I go back, obviously, in the days when, you know, there were big fights where meant a million pay-per-views or more. Uh, it doesn't feel like we're in that era anymore for a lot of different reasons. Uh, there hasn't been a million selling pay-per-view in quite some time. So I wonder, what are the expectations and how do you make people understand that we're not in, uh, you know, the mid-2000s, uh, 2010s, and or even before that, as far as what the numbers are, where people will look and say, oh, that was disappointing. What is what is a home run for, for everybody in this type of fight? Yeah, it sort of feels like um, you know, 800 is the new million, you know, basically. Because if we look at, you know, Vanilla Plant did about 800. Wilder Fury 2 and 3 did a little less than that, but in the, in the same neighborhood. And, and those have been the biggest ones, uh, really, of uh, in, in recent pay-per-views. So that, that sort of feels like... Um, not necessarily the ceiling, but um, that, that's the most we've done as a sport lately. Um, so, look, I, I'd, be, I'd be thrilled with those numbers. I, I know there are people throwing around other numbers as well. But what does make me um, optimistic and hopeful that maybe we could have a breakout performance is when you talk about fighters who, um, the handful of fighters in the sport who have a profile and have a fan base outside of our usual hardcore fans. Um, Tank and Ryan are definitely in that very small category. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, and, and people can sort of sneer and mock social media following. Um, and it, it, you know, that's often used almost pejoratively. Um, 
but it, it is indicative of a, of a fan base of people who care about you as a fighter and the fact that they have millions of people who are following them and interested in their lives that is definitely a good indicator for the amount of business that they could do together so you have another pay-per-view coming up march 26 before we even get to uh uh, Tank and Ryan, and that's the the fight between David Benavides and Caleb Plant, which I think every boxing fan would acknowledge is an outstanding matchup and uh, something for many people to look forward to. Um, and I think it's going to be a tremendous fight. What I'm actually interested in is uh, once they take care of their business, and obviously uh, I meant March 25th, by the way, for the date of that pay-per-view, um, where does the winner of that go? Because Caleb Plant has already had the fight with the undisputed champ, Canelo Alvarez, he lost that fight. Benavidez, of course, would be a very intriguing fight for Canelo. Uh, I'm not sure what Canelo's plans are. He's going into you know something else he's got coming for the spring. They've talked about a Bivol rematch in the in the uh, later part of the year, which would mean the the winner of that fight that you have would not be in line for him. Benavidez or and I don't see a plant rematch happening. So, what do you think is in line for the winner of that fight? Because they got a chance to have a real kind of breakout performance against one another. Yeah, I. I think no one, I don't think anyone's going to sit around waiting for Canelo. Like, it's a great thing if it happens, but, you know, David's been pretty open. Uh, he's not going to. He would love the fight, but he's not going to, you know, put his career. And I think that's how we ended up here. No one's sitting around looking to rack up easy wins and wait for Canelo to call them on the phone. <laughs> so, look, you've got David Morrell. You've probably got Jamel Charlo. You know, at some point, you've got Demetrius Andre. Um and, and I think, you know, you put those five guys, Benavidez, Plant, Andre, uh, you know, Charlo, eventually, and Morrell. And there's a multitude of good matchups there. Um, so I think there's, I, I think that's that's what the plan will be, probably the most likely outcome. I mean, certainly going to try and make a Canelo fight, but, you know, he's he's been pretty open. If he sticks to his plan, then we just have to continue to make the best fights possible. And I think those are still some really good matchups even without Canelo in the mix. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like the fact, you know, Charlotte decides to move up. I like that you mentioned Andre. Obviously, he's now involved with PBC and fought on the Showtime pay-per-view that you had with uh, Javante Davis in January. Uh, all right, so that's uh, the situation with that pay-per-view. I want to uh, quickly touch on what I feel is sort of like the elephant in the room, and that is the news, uh, not specifically related to boxing, at least not yet, that, that your company network, Showtime, is being absorbed, essentially, into Paramount Plus, a streaming service, and I have been asked a million times since that has come out in the last couple of weeks, what you know, and, and every any different variety of ways to ask the question is, what does it mean for boxing? What does it mean for the franchise? What does it mean for the network in general as far as uh, watching boxing on linear television, that sort of thing? Can you kind of walk me through what you know or what you what you can say about where you're sure. at with that situation? Yeah, as, as an initial point, I think you can look at, at the schedule and you know. Earlier today, we, we filled in some of the gaps in the schedule, some of the undercard, and a couple of, of events that hadn't uh, been announced yet. So if we look at the first six months of 2023, um, there's 14 live boxing events. Um, that's as busy a six-month period as we've had since I've been here. So I think, you know, more so than any of my responses, um, the proof is in the pudding. Um, you know, nothing is changing from our perspective. We're as busy as ever. We're as committed to making big fights as well, ever. I'm going to stop and, you right there. I'm I'm not worried about your perspective. I know you want to go forward and make all the fights. <laughs> I'm talking about your your the perspective of your new your new home, your new you know you know Paramount uh, uh, you know uh, coworkers and colleagues. How do how do you fit yeah, into I, their into their new uh, paradigm or 
uh, structure? You know, for the time being, there's um, there's not there's not really any change. You know, we they've said it's status quo. We continue doing what we're doing. We actually we've had a long history in the sport and, and a lot of success, and no one has indicated there's any change coming to that. Um, I, I think you know the the change in the integration on the streaming services probably it, it's along the lines of what you see across the industry. It's what Disney has bought. Disney has done with their app in terms of putting multiple brands within one app. Um, we're getting to the point in the industry where there's too many apps. You know? And so I think it's a, it's a natural thing, not just for efficiency, but for the consumer experience. Um, and, and I actually think it's a, it's a good thing for the sport, um, a good thing for Showtime Boxing more specifically, because I, I love being in an app literally side by side with the kind of sports content that CBS Sports and, and Paramount Plus has. Um, so I'd love to be able to have access to the UEFA soccer fans, to the NFL fans, to you know, college football, college basketball, uh, everything that's going on in the Paramount Plus app from CBS Sports, and to be able to hopefully cross-promote and bring some of those fans over. So, you know, for us, yeah, the, the, the business doesn't change, the plans doesn't change, and it's just a, a different way to experience, you know, the Showtime, uh, the Showtime program. Right, so and I understand. I think most boxing fans have grown used to having to use apps, whether it's ESPN Plus or DAZN, or maybe watching fights that are on Showtime Linear, but using your app to watch them also. So, for those who are freaking out, saying, "Oh my God, it's like the sky is falling," and and Showtime Boxing is going to go away because of this grand move that they're making, can you tell the fans, the Showtime Boxing fans, boxing fans in general, that? That not to worry that things are going to be okay, and that that Showtime boxing's uh, whatever they're going to call it's not going anywhere anytime soon. No, that uh, that is absolutely the case. It's not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. Um, and in fact, we've been given a go ahead to continue doing what we've been doing, and and to continue to even try and elevate it, um, which is which is great news. So it'll be a little bit different packaging, um, a different, slightly different way of getting it. But it'll be the, the same high quality fights and the same high quantity, high quality schedule. And, and is it still going to be on like the regular linear TV, also Showtime? Because the channel still is yes. there. You know? No, absolutely. So the, the integration, look, there's some corporate integration. Like I can watch like it on the app if I want, or I can watch it on Showtime if I want, or whatever Correct. they're going to call you it. Know, that, that aspect is not changing. Okay. You know? So there's, you know, there's some realignment, there's some corporate integration, but. The linear service is not changing, you know, the programming on the linear service and the programming on um, on the streaming service in terms of the sports is not changing either. All right, I want to now uh, thank you for that explanation. I think that will put a lot of people's no, minds it's, it's at ease. No, it's helpful. I get the question a lot, too. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you, you mentioned uh, in one of your previous uh, comments that you guys had added a few shows to sort of round out the schedule, added some undercard fights. So I want to just walk through those quickly before your PR team gets mad at me and makes me uh, end this interview. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to just go briefly through them, and you can just sort of give me your take on it. I'll just let the folks know April 8th at the uh, Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, have the main event of uh, the always exciting Sebastian Fandora taking on Brian Mendoza in defense of the interim WBC Drew Middleweight title, uh, Brandon Lee, Pedro Campa, 140-pound fight, and Luis Nunez, Christian Olivo in a featherweight bout. Then you move to uh, May 13th, site to be determined. You have Alberto Pueyo against Roly Romero, the colorful Roly Romero, 
Uh, in, uh, Everyone's what, favorite. <laughs> everybody's favorite. And uh, I can only imagine the Instagram story videos we'll see leading up to that fight. <laughs> Uh, so that's Pueyo defending his WBA uh, junior welterweight title. You have Gary Antoine Russell and Ken Cruz and Rances Bartholomew and Omar Juarez in undercard fights, both at uh, in the junior welterweight division, and then June twenty yeah, fourth. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, and and not not to interrupt you, but uh, I mean, you did mention May thirteenth. Made intentional effort. It's a it's a night of one hundred and forty pounders. Right, of course, three you know, fights. I think that that's that's one of the things that we like doing is you know setting up fights that relate to each other, so you can sort of get a sense of how everybody fits in. All right, so before I get to the last one, go back to April 8th. Give me your, your thoughts briefly on uh, Fandora Mendoza. That A lot of people, uh, I had written about that a few days ago, uh, and I saw some criticism. When I saw that, I was like, that's actually a pretty damn good fight. You may not know a lot about Mendoza, uh, or Fandora for that matter, but these guys definitely come to fight. It seemed that was a pretty good uh, pretty good matchup. Look, we, we, we know um, whatever you call you know that venue, and I know there's controversy there. I got, I I got a real problem with your guys on that one. I know, I know. It's your uh, one ongoing quarrel that you have with us. Um, whatever you call the venue, all, all in good fun. A, all in good yeah, fun, of course. Um, whatever you call the venue, there's uh, there's a standard to be upheld there, um, and you know we know that fans expect wars when you go in there, um, and I think that's what you're going to get. Brian Mendoza may not be the biggest name, but we know what he brings, and it's going to be hard fought action. And of course, Sebastian Fedora only knows how to fight one way. And I think Brandon Lee, look, uh, I think he's the perfect you know, fighter there. He's fought off TV. I think he's fought an opening fight there as well. Um, he's from Southern California. I think Pedro Campa is going to be a good measuring stick for him. I think it's a, a good fight for him in career. And I think after this, you're going to be seeing Brandon in a, a fight against a you know, top 10, you know, worst top 15 guy in that division. So I think he's ready to graduate up into that upper tier. So I would uh, I would encourage uh, my friends at Showtime, Morrow, and all the guys. Let's call it the War Grounds, not the Punch Bowl. All right, let's move on. <laughs> May thirteenth, uh, the Pueyo Romero. You mentioned it's a night of junior welterweights. Uh, I was a little surprised that Romero got the fight. I thought Gary Antoine Russell was uh, there as the number one challenger, or you know, in position. Uh, if you could just again briefly, not that man, I'm not complaining about the fight. Just curious how how it's not Russell, but it's Romero, and how you decide how you guys all work out how it goes. Yeah, I mean, look, um, if you ask Gary Antoine, like he's, he would, uh, you know, he'll, he'll take anything. Um, you know, he, 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 there's not anybody in background. That's what I love about uh, Gary Antoine is like he will absolutely take any fight that's offered to him, you know, come hell or high water. If you said fight Deontay Wilder, he <laughs> would. Um, so, but I, I think this is more his advisor saying, okay, um, he is still relatively young, mm-hmm. um, a little bit more seasoning. I don't expect it's going to be very long before we see him in a title fight. He's been moved really quickly, um, fought some tough fights, and I think the, the reality is he's ready for a title fight within the next you know, two or three fights at most. All right, I'll just uh, touch on the last one that I didn't mention before, the third uh, fight card that you uh, you uh, added to the calendar in an official way, and that is June 24th at the uh, apparently the new home of Showtime Boxing in, in Middle America, the Armory in Minneapolis, you have in your main event, you have uh, Carlos Adamas, the uh, interim WBC middleweight title holder, taking on the former unified champion in the 154-pound division, Julian J. Rock Williams, Erickson Lubin against Luis Arias, also in a junior middleweight. Uh, that's a junior middleweight fight. And then you have the title fight between Fernando Martinez against Jade Bornea. He is defending uh, his IBF junior bantamweight title, which he won on Showtime uh, against Jerwin Ancasa. So I know Adamas, uh, as the interim champion, he has the ability, based on the WBC ruling, to take this interim fight the same way they allowed 
uh, uh, Jermall Charlo when he returns from his uh, his layoff to take an interim fight before they're put into the position where they have to fight each other. Um, tell me a little bit what you think about that matchup. Uh, uh, Adamas uh, is kind of an under-the-radar kind of guy, it seems to me. He is, but um, look, he's uh, another one. It seems like uh, look, there's a there's a renaissance uh, of Dominican fighters. I mean, it's just you know maybe just coincidence, but you know there's a lot of really promising young uh, fighters. We saw one just this past weekend. Um, but Carlos Adamas uh, is a tough out for anybody. This is a, a tough ask for Julian. Um, I think the, the reality with uh, with Julian, I, I think he still has some mileage left in him. I think he wants to make another run. And if he pulls off this win, then he's back in the middle and the thick of things. Um, and I think you're right. I think once Jamal gets back and active again, you know, he's uh, was off dealing with some personal issues. He's anxious to get back. Once he does, then I think the winner of this fight is is a, is a natural. And do you... Uh... You know, I know Charlo, that the, at the end of the announcement release that some of the press guys received, it did mention a bunch of other fighters uh, saying that, that they will be in fights in you know upcoming announcements and future schedules. I know obviously you're working on, I believe, Spence versus Thurman. That, I guess, would be added at some point as a pay-per-view. Is that correct? Yeah, there's um, you know there's a lot of good names. As, as strong as we feel like this schedule is, I mean, you know, Spence is not on it. Thurman's not on it. Mm-hmm. Neither the Charlos, Jerron Ennis, David Morrell. So... You know, we could have held off and waited another week or two and probably taken care of most of them on the schedule. But, you know, nothing holds in the sport. Sure. You know, a lot of this had leaked out anyway. And I think, you know, those other guys, the Spences, the Charlos, the Thurmans, the Ennis, you know, Morrell, you know, even, you know, a guy like Isak Cruz or Frank Martin or, you know, David Morrell, Danny Garcia, like all of those I think are going to be back sooner than we think. We're not, we're not talking about, hey, we're seeing them in the fall. I think we'll see most of those guys, you know, in, in the summer. And with Jermel, and I'll, I'll end it with this, though. I think he's supposed to fight the winner. He's he's going to be mandated when he comes back. It's not a secret. He's got to fight the winner of the very good fight you guys have uh, coming up between uh, Tim Zhu and and uh, Tony Harrison. Yeah, that, that's a, a bit of a formality. You know, we, we don't want to assume that, but obviously the, the mandatory will be determined on March 11th and that contractually would or at least from the sanctioning body, needs to be Jermell's next fight. All right, very good. Steve, I appreciate the time very much. I look forward to uh, seeing you in Las Vegas April 22nd uh, during fight week for the big fight between Tank and Ryan. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. Appreciate it. All right. Great to see you, Dan. You too, Steve. There you go, everybody. Steve Espinosa, the big boss man of Showtime. All right, love that. And and again, I want to publicly say this because Showtime, Steven Espinoza, his people, Chris de Blasio, Steve Pratt, all the people uh, involved with the PR and behind the scenes, they've been very good uh, to me uh, with the Big Fight Weekend podcast before you and I hooked up. They've been good with both of us, with getting us guests. You have a longer relationship with them, obviously. We enjoy that relationship with them and hope it continues. Um, and, and I look, what do I know? definitively here this is actually though a good thing for them because of the the all the fight cards that you're seeing right now shows there's still belief in boxing uh from a paramount standpoint there's belief in that and the bigger names with bigger attraction and bigger audience are only going to help that go on um i i do know from talking to somebody let's just say that is inside the paramount 
uh, empire, not high up the empire, but is inside the Paramount Empire. And this person said to me, hey, they realize the value that Showtime has and that Showtime has different sports aspects to it as well. So as long as the boxing and the quality of the boxing is there and fans that are listening to us continue to subscribe and get Showtime, and I I personally subscribe and it's worth your while. It's worth your while with all the different programming, but it's definitely worth your while if you're a boxing fan. I think that will help the powers that be look at this and say there's value here because they they are still regularly putting fights out when very few in the U.S. in terms of broadcasters are regularly putting fights out. They put it out more. They put them out more regularly. Dan, you know this. Put them out Listen, more regularly just, than just about anybody else. I just hope it continues. I mean, ESPN has a very robust calendar also mm -hmm. both on their streaming service and on their network. Uh, the zone has plenty of fights that are not necessarily all the United States fights, but they got plenty. But if you take the three together, you can satisfy you. It becomes a little bit more yeah. expensive because you got to buy all three services, but whatever. The point is, uh, as it relates to Showtime, uh, I'm, I liked everything I heard from Steve about the Paramount situation. I see the proof in the pudding in what terms of the upcoming schedule uh, looks like and, and that they have commitments that go uh, you know further into the year. All that said, I still always maintain a healthy skepticism. I'm still shell-shocked four years later from the exit of HBO from boxing. I hope it doesn't happen to Showtime or whatever they're going to call uh, that property. Uh, that would be a horrible thing for the sport, and uh, it would be very depressing, but... Uh, with crossed fingers, uh, it looks like they'll move forward, at least for the time being, in boxing. Good enough. All right, some news. Are we going to get depressed further? we gotta, we got to cover this. We were looking so forward, speaking of undisputed fights going by the wayside. You were talking about Jermel Charlo. Tim Zhu went by the wayside a couple of months ago because Charlo uh, broke his hand in sparring for that undisputed junior middleweight uh, title fight. Now the ladies' lightweight world title fight that we had been hoping for for May between Amanda Serrano and... A Katie Taylor for uh, a great rematch for the undisputed 135-pound titles that Taylor uh, holds. And, and bear in mind, Serrano just won all of the 126-pound belts, got the last remaining one of those in an undisputed title fight earlier in February. Now the word is that Amanda Serrano is hurt, and due to that undisclosed injury, the May fight is already off. It's postponed, and we'll hopefully get it back at some point, maybe later in the summer. I don't know. All right, so the first thing I got to ask you 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 are great at poking around, digging around. What's going on here with the injury? Is this potentially an injury from the Erica Cruz fight? Um, that's the first thing I thought when I saw this news. What do we know about what took her out of this rematch? Well, they didn't say anything publicly, but from what I was told, you know, from people that have been around this fight, is that it not it's not necessarily something specific like I have a broken hand or a sprained knee or this or that. That it was just a lot of wear and tear and uh, the need for a little more rest and recuperation from what was an extraordinarily difficult fight on February 4th against Erica Cruz. I mean, we, you know, we talked about all the great fights we've had this year. That was near the top of the list so far. That was just an absolute bloodbath, tremendous battle between those two women. They put on a great show. And, and I thought to myself on the night of the fight, when they brought Katie into the ring after that match to have the official announcement with Eddie Hearn and with Amanda, you know, having just won, the undisputed uh, uh, featherweight title, unifying all the belts and announcing the fight for May 20th in uh, Dublin, Ireland, which is going to be Katie's first ever professional fight in her home country. I kind of thought to myself, boy, that's a little quick. These these two women just put on a, a very, very grinding, brutal physical fight. Now, Erica Cruz took the worst of it with all the cuts and the blood and everything, but it wasn't as though Amanda came away unscathed. So I have to tell you, uh, TJ, it wasn't a total shock to me when it was announced that they would have to postpone this fight. And 
they didn't announce any kind of specific injury, which tells you it's probably not a specific injury. It's just a lot of stuff from the, the difficulty of the recovering from that February 4th fight. So look, hopefully Amanda can get, uh, get herself together, get better, heal up, take a little rest and uh, reconvene. You know, maybe uh, I would hope in the summertime. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if it would be as bad enough to get pushed into the fall. I mean, we don't know the exact nature of the injury, but it, it feels like May 20th is not happening. And keep in mind also, they hadn't even, they haven't set up a venue yet. They announced Dublin, Ireland, but they hadn't yet uh, secured the actual uh, stadium and or arena where they were going to have this fight. There was a lot of discussion about that. She wants to have it at a place called Croke Park, which holds like 70,000. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of issues with the costs associated with that. Um, so the combination of Amanda maybe not uh, being in perfect health, plus they still hadn't nailed down a venue, you know, hopefully they'll just right. reconvene and we'll see this fight, you know, I don't know, maybe June, July, something like that. Well, we know this. This is this is a massive interest, massively lucrative fight. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of financial reason to get it rescheduled, but I'm with you. If Serrano, who is as tough as you're going to find, if she says, I need off of that fight a little more time, then uh, you know that there's so many fighters right now that are taking a year off just to take a year off. That I mean, if she needs time for a little bit, give her some time. I'm, I agree with way, you on that. When she fights Katie Taylor again, you know, if if uh, past this prologue, uh, they're going to be in for another extremely rough battle, given what they yes. did to each other this past April. All right, uh, I I bring this up because we were kind of half looking at this, going, "Are you serious?" Apparently, there there is some merit to a possible WBO World Welterweight title defense, Terrence Crawford and Alexis Rocha. Two things. First of all, the WBO is ordering that. But as we know, you know, you report this all the time, but we've, we've grown accustomed to this. That's not just completely accidental here. The sides are talking. Oscar De La Hoya admitted this again earlier this week. They are talking. They're having conversation about Crawford Rocha. That doesn't mean that it's done. But what what is your thought here with the WBO officially saying, okay, guys, get together. This is going to go to a purse bid. What do you make of it? Well, it's only going to go to a purse bid if they can't make a deal. Roach has been the number one contender in the WBO. He did have uh, a fight just recently that he won. Terrence Crawford was ringside for that fight. Golden Boy had spoken to him in the days leading up to that. They posted a photo of Bernard Hopkins, who was a co-owner of uh, Golden Boy, along with Terrence, along with Oscar De La Hoya, obviously the owner of the company, uh, on their social media. Uh, standing in the Golden Boy office in front of there's a if you ever I've, I've been there a few times <laughs> right but if you walk into the main lobby area at the Golden Boy offices there's a large glass case that do- goes all along the entire uh, uh, wall and in those cases are all of the great memorabilia from Oscar's career his gold medal his championship belts his robes tr- you know all kinds of stuff and all of his many world title belts they took the picture in front of that I mean it's a flex right there and uh Crawford is talking to them. I mean, he's a free agent. And if you can't get the Errol Spence fight or whatever the reasons are that that's not happening and you and you have to figure out where I should go in terms of my promotion, they have at Golden Boy my mandatory, which is Rocha. So I'm going to probably end up having to do a fight with their involvement anyway. And they also have Virgil Ortiz. If Virgil Ortiz defeats Amanda Stanionis on April 29th, that would become a pretty big fight other than the Errol Spence fight, which was Crawford against Virgil Ortiz. So another very high-level opponent that they can make for you. Uh, they're talking. They're talking about not just trying to make this Rocha fight. They're talking about doing a longer-term deal. I'm not saying it's going to be like years and years, but it could theoretically be, you know, two fights, three fights, something on the shorter term like that. So it makes a lot of sense. So uh, the WBO ordered the, the fight. 
you know, they have 20 days to make a deal. If they don't make it, they'll put it to a purse. But I'm sure if they get close, I mean, the, you know, this happens all the time. Golden Boy can certainly go to the WBO and Terrence Crawford's representative and say, hey, we're getting there. Can give us a little more time? And most of the time, the organization will say, no problem. They'll give another week or two or whatever. But it, it seems like without the Spence fight in the immediate offing and Crawford winning a champion and having to make a mandatory, that the Rocha fight's going to happen. Uh, whether it's via, via a purse bid or it's uh, making a deal with Golden Boy. Now, if he doesn't make a deal with Golden Boy, he doesn't have a promoter, so he doesn't. He's going to have to secure somebody that would come in on his behalf to bid, which means making some kind of agreement with another outfit. I think his days with the BLK Primes of the world are done. That was a one and done for him. You know, he's not involved with Top Rank. You know, I'm not sure what the matchroom appetite for a fight like that would be. They are also on the zone the way that Golden Boy is. Um, point is, there's not a lot of. Uh, there's not a lot of companies out there that are going to w- willing to invest in that kind of fight. Uh, but Golden Boy might because they've got Rocha. They'd like to work with Crawford. They have a great future opponent possibility for Crawford and Ortiz. So, you know, all these things take time to play out. Uh, there's about three weeks where we'll know more about it because that's when the person will come up. So we'll see. But uh, do I love Crawford Rocha? No. But do I love uh, the fact that Terrence Crawford would become more active? Do I love the possibility of him fighting perhaps Virgil Ortiz if they're both winners? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, make the best of a, of a not the greatest situation. Well, and again, like you laid out, not an accident he was at ringside at Rocha's fight, not an accident that he's at the Golden Boy offices. Now, that's not a deal. They don't have a deal. No, far but from the it. signs, the signs are pointing to that could be the next fight. Get him more active. Get him out there. Uh, and and by the way, the lawsuit, my understanding, the lawsuit is still going on, right, with top rank. So, as you were saying, it, it, that's not going to happen. With well, even if there was a lawsuit, I mean, you know, in the immortal words of Bob Arum, uh, I lost more money on Terrence Crawford. If I hadn't promoted those fights, I could have bought another mansion in Beverly Hills. Right. Well, Bob Arum's also the one that promised him a million-dollar bonus if he didn't make the Errol Spence fight and then didn't, and then tried not to pay the bonus, even though it was in writing, according to Crawford and his lawyer. Uh, okay, so let them litigate that and figure that out. But there you go with some on Terrence Crawford and what might be next. One thing uh, in closing here on the preview is a bit of a nostalgia, and this was 20 years ago this past Wednesday that Roy Jones became WBA heavyweight champion against John Ruiz. Now... Rayfield, in the pantheon of all-time great heavyweight moments, this one ain't there. But you were ringside for this, yes? Tell me more. Tell me more on the nostalgia. What's what's up here? Well, I mean, you kind of downplayed it. I mean, Roy Jones moving up to heavy was like a thing back then. That was like one of the biggest deals in boxing. It was a massive event. In fact, if I remember correctly, uh, our friends at the Ring Magazine called it uh, the 2003 event of the year. The fact that Roy Jones who was the dominating, no doubt about it, pound-for-pound king, uh, just one of the great fighters of all time, was going to finally, which had been discussed and asked of him many, many times, can you move up? Can you, Will you move up? He finally did it. Now, I'm not going to bullshit anybody and tell you that John Ruiz was like the heavyweight champ and the greatest <laughs> heavyweight in the in the in of the day. No, Thank Lennox you. Lewis was Thank the champion. You. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't bullshit the people. Exactly. Lennox Lewis was the heavyweight champion of the world. And Lennox Lewis, by the way, probably outweighed Roy Jones by 50 pounds and was probably about five inches taller than him. So that was not going to happen. There was there was zero chance of that occurring. But for Roy Jones to go up there and take on a John Ruiz, who, whatever you think about John's ugly style, at the time, he was top four or five heavyweights in boxing. You could maybe have him three. It was basically like Lennox, uh, John Ruiz, 
You had Evander Holyfield was still around. You had Chris Bird was there, but he was and he was on in that short list of heavyweights at the time. And remember, Roy had turned pro at like 156 pounds. He'd been a middleweight champion by beating Bernard Hopkins. He'd become the super middleweight champion by dominating uh, then Benny's number one pound for pound, James Tony. He had moved up to light heavyweight. He had unified the three major titles. The WBO was still not considered like necessary for the undisputed. So Roy was the undisputed light heavyweight champion. And, you know, they, there was never going to be a fight between him and his German rival, Darius Mikulczewski, for about a million different reasons. But to go to heavyweight for the right fight, this was a big fucking deal. Okay. So don't downplay it. And I was there. And what he did that night, he came in 190 something pounds. He was outweighed by 33 pounds against John Ruiz. And he beat the brakes off him. And it wasn't just by outboxing him with his incredible speed. He actually did stand in and fight a little bit here and there and pick his spots to go to battle with this guy. And uh, it was an absolutely brilliant performance. Roy Jones became the first former middleweight champion in 106 years to also win a heavyweight title. The last one or the only one who had done it was the uh, Hall of Famer Bob Fitzsimmons who had done it in uh, 1897. You would like to confirm on the podcast you did not cover Bob Fitzsimmons and his feet I, in I, 100, 106 years ago, yeah? I did not cover Bob Fitzsimmons, but I do have some Bob Fitzsimmons cards in my collection. <laughs> of course you do. The Rayfield <laughs> Collection, of which uh, at some point I'm going to be the curator in my retirement of the Rayfield Museum. Yes, exactly. So Roy Jones wins that fight lopsided, like 118, 110, 117, 111, 116, 112, highly generous. But it was a great, great moment for Roy Jones, and it was a historical moment for the sport. And unfortunately, if you follow what happened to the rest of Roy Jones's career, that was the apex. That was it. If Roy Jones had walked away after that fight, he might be considered number one pound for pound of all time by some people, even over Sugar Ray Robinson. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how awesome Roy Jones was uh, in his heyday. And on that night, he was as brilliant as it gets. Now, he didn't walk away. Antonio Tarver, his yep. rival for amateurs, came to the post-fight press conference, and I remember him standing up and, you know, shouting and screaming, come on, Roy, come back and fight me, you know, don't run for me, blah, 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 blah. And Roy Jones made what he has admitted later was a huge mistake to didn't just take off the weight to go from, like, 193 back to 175. He was taking off muscle. And it just killed his reflexes. It killed his body. He fought Antonio Tarver in the first fight in the, in a, a light heavyweight championship fight. And even though it was one of Roy's worst nights up to that point, he still, with heart and balls, won that fight. Close. And he ended up giving Tarver a rematch. And he was never the same. He got knocked out. He got knocked out by Glenn the Johnson. The all-time classic pre-fight comment. You got any excuses tonight, Roy? And then followed it up with boom. Exactly. From, uh, Tarver time. Uh, on that you're yeah, right I, I mean look look Pensacola's Roy Jones is iconic iconic there is no doubt about that but you're right he should have stopped but like so many other guys didn't stop and kept fighting he, and that's yeah he shouldn't have stopped after the Ruiz win what he should have done and again my opinion and I'm not alone in this opinion he should not have stopped after beating Ruiz the way he did because he was on top of the world he's making his biggest paydays he, but he shouldn't have gone back to fight Tarver what he should have done is worked out the deal that they tried to do after that fight, which would have been a monstrous, monstrous fight, even bigger than the Ruiz fight. And it would have paid him way more money. And it would have still been considered a huge win. And I still believe he would have won this fight. Is him against Evander Holyfield was one of the, one of the fights that was strongly being discussed. Don King was the promoter of Holyfield. He was also the promoter of Ruiz. 
He had done the fights between Ruiz and Holyfield. You know, Roy uh, was had worked with uh, with Don King. He had his own representatives trying to work things out to to you know grease the wheels there. What he should have done was make that fight. They had had conversations with Madison Square Garden. Trust me when I tell you that the, that in that moment in time, 2003, you know, early 2004, Roy Jones as the WBA heavyweight champion fighting in a defense against Evander Holyfield at Madison Square Garden would have been a massive, massive event. But it never happened. But at the end of the day, he did win that title against John Ruiz. He did become a four-division champion. He is one of the greatest fighters of all time. That was the greatest night of his career. That was a massive, massive event. And, uh, you know, I remember being in Vegas uh, all week for that fight, Caesars Palace. You know, uh, TJ, we've talked about some great fights in the past. The, the old... Caesars Palace Sports Pavilion, where yes. there are so many great fights. Larry Holmes against Kenny Norton, Azua, um, Salvador Sanchez against Wilfredo Gomez. Mm-hmm. Many, many great fights. That Sugar Ray in. Leonard, Wilfred Benitez, by the way. Yes, sir. Uh, and Marvin Hagler was on that card. Mm-hmm. The point is, that was a that was a facility that when they weren't doing the mega Caesars Palace fights in the in the temporary facility they would do out back outdoors, they would have these fights in about a 5,000-seater uh, in the pavilion. You know, they were not really having fights at the pavilion once I started to write about boxing in 2000 on a full-time basis. So the only time I ever really was in the Caesars Palace Pavilion, this is how big of a fight Roy Jones against uh, John Ruiz was. The fight was taking place at the Thomas and Mack Center because Caesars didn't have its own facility big enough at that time because they weren't going to build the outdoor thing and there wasn't room for it anyway. But what they did do was they used the pavilion as the as the media center all week for the Roy Jones John Ruiz fight. So that's where we all hung out all week and wrote our stories and had our press conference and, and did our interviews and did all our, all, did all of our work. And by the way, uh, that fight, my other lasting memory, by the way, of that uh, John Ruiz, Roy Jones fight week, better even in some ways for action than the fight itself was at the weigh-in when uh, the usually very calm and chill Alton Merkerson, uh, coach Merck, the longtime trainer of Roy Jones was so uh, had had it up to here. And I'm putting my hand way over my head. Yep with the antics and nonsense and bullshit from Norman Stone, Stoney, as we call them, the lunatic trainer and manager of John Ruiz, uh, <laughs> about four feet in front of me and my other ringside colleagues uh, threw a punch and laid Norman Stone out cold. Oh, oh, oh. At the way, so at this the was the unexpected undercard for yes. Jones Ruiz. Because Stoney he, had and he, opened and he it. laid him out right in front of you. Laid him out. They took him out on a stretcher. Uh, it was, it was, he, I thought, I mean, I'm not joking. I mean, I mean, it was, it's funny in retrospect because thankfully he was okay. But at the time, like this is like a 60 year old guy get dropped right in front of you. And I thought he was fucking dead, but wow. Norman Stone, he didn't, he wouldn't shut up. You know, he, and again, Merkison was a cool, very relaxed, chill, you know, kind of guy came from a military background. Uh, you know, yes, sir. No, sir. Kind of guy. But for months and months leading up to this fight, and even before the fight, Stoney just chirp, 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 you know, and it, it, he just finally at the way. Now, wait, was, did the Vegas authorities, the Clark County authorities get involved, or did they take the attitude, sometimes this has to police itself, and it policed itself? I, I don't recall authorities being involved. <laughs> I can't say they weren't, but I don't remember that being the case. <sighs> but Stoney turned like a color of red uh, that I've never seen on a human face before. Not from blood, just from the just the, the the incident of what occurred but yes they laid him out oh, right wow. there for the, you know. and then roy jones and then the next night roy jones went and battered uh john ruiz and won uh the wba heavyweight title great nostalgia to close us again a full podcast we've got the figueroa magsayo main event in california we'll talk more on the bet us show live at one eastern time on bet us's platforms their youtube twitch 
Twitter, uh, anywhere you get it on BetUS. Uh, so again, you got a bunch. We'll make predictions on that. The Jared Hurd fight as well. You heard from Jared Hurd on this podcast. You heard from Steven Espinosa on this podcast. You've been a busy guy this week, Dan Rayfield. Uh, do me okay. a favor and like rest up and be ready to go for the Showtime PBC <laughs> fight card and everything else this weekend. All right. I'm good. I'm listen. It's it's good to be busy because that means there's lots of stuff going on. It's beats there when you're you're running around looking for anything. But there uh, yeah. is there is all right. So we pledge to the audience. We've got this fight card coming this weekend. If you don't mind, I'm going to boogie to Charlotte, North Carolina. I've got college basketball duties. I'm not going to be far from that Duke, North Carolina game in Chapel Hill in Charlotte. I'm in a different part of the state uh, on Tobacco Road uh, for all the college basketball this weekend. But I promise you, I will get back. And we will do the recap podcast off the weekend. We look forward to that. The Fight Freaks Unite recap off of whatever happens on the Showtime PBC card. All the news of the weekend and much more. For now, Dan Rayfield, have a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you on the Fight Freaks Unite recap, sir. And we'll see you on the Bet US show on Friday first. No doubt about that. For now, we are good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm merely TJ Reeves. Follow or subscribe on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed to the Big Fight Weekend preview. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. The audience keeps growing. We love that. We talk the fights headed into the weekend on the Big Fight Weekend preview.